0: All right. We're live, people. We're live. All right. So I was just playing hockey last night. He was just telling us he was uh, he was late to the party. He was late to the party.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right.
2: I, I didn't
0: know you played hockey.
1: Yeah, I do. I try to play at least once a week. I sometimes play twice. Um, not that good, but it's fun and it's a great workout. And uh I just have a really good group of guys that I play with. So
2: I feel I can ask this question because I'm from England, but we're talking about ice hockey, right? Yes. Just hockey. Right? Yes. Just wanna, that's, that's probably normal for people in America, but we do believe it or not have a big hockey that's not on ice. Right. In the UK, so just just wait to make sure.
0: So I'm assuming that's they're interesting. There are roller skates in the UK. I'm assuming.
2: No, you're just on foot. You're just, on foot. just just like trainers on or sneakers or whatever you guys call them yeah you're just playing hockey and it's a ball and it's like you play it on like a uh like a five a side court or something you know like there's different markings um for hockey yeah it's not a huge sport by any means um but yeah just just wondering i didn't know that about dave anyway good morning everybody watching how are we
0: don how are you I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Can't complain. I spent uh, spent the last five days of last week camping out in the Redwoods in Leggett, California. It's about six hours from me, six, six seven hour drive. And, and I had virtually no service, literally no Internet. And um, it was a good break. And it's always nice to come back and see contracts on the board. So it means you have a real business and not a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have no complaints. That's how awesome. Yeah. How about you? No,
2: that, yeah, no, everything's good. Um, you know, just, just ticking away. It's almost like it's weird. It's a bit of a weird week. Cause we're coming up to the fall. So it's kind of like, like, I'm not doing anything, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm in holiday mode, but I kind of feel a bit like, I, I don't know, I've struggled to get going this week. It's, it's weird. Um, but everything's still ticking. Um, still, uh, marketing making it happen but i think that's that's a good point it's a test when you're the one that's not doing it. i think most people watching this and a lot of people in real estate everyone has a job right and I think you only have a true business when you're not needed um and things happen without you and i think that's everyone's goal if you're not there yet but that's where people are trying to get so it's nice when you you know get to go and do that and you lose signal i say the same when i go back to england like when i go back to england i work that's probably the least amount of work i ever do even when i travel on vacation here i'll still work but in england with a time difference and you're only there for a certain amount of time you're back for two times a year once twice a year so i get busy seeing people and doing all that so i'm actually working like an hour a day if that and i still make the same amount of money everything still happens and which is awesome because you show that you have a business but it's also super frustrating because i'm like why do i feel like to work 10 hours when i'm back in america 12 hour days you know and i think a lot of it as an entrepreneur is like your mind's going 100 mile an hour and -hmm. you're constantly creating things. Um, but you're only picking certain things that actually work, right? I mean, we still have way more failures and things that don't work than do. Um, I just think that's the, the the nature of it. So,
0: well, I think there's yeah. an obligation, a, a guilt factor too. And I don't know if you guys feel it, but <clears throat> you know, I'll, I'll be done with my to dos, you know, for a period of time, for a day or whatever, by you say noon. But I'll feel like I need to continue to find things to do until like five o'clock, right, to the end of the workday um 100%. you know so there's days like that and then there's days where like you said i mean our minds are going 24/7 and we can't turn it off and we got the vision and the projects and we got a thousand things to do so it's almost like we work ourselves to death so when we deserve to take a break we we feel guilty about taking a break i don't know if yeah, you guys feel the same thing 100% it. you yeah. nailed
2: it like today i'm pretty light this afternoon like and i don't have like i always show up i'm on time and i do scheduled stuff but i have like an open afternoon and I feel like I could do nothing, but I can't because I feel guilty that I should be doing something. Right, right. I get
0: go, it. Go do nothing. And go do nothing. I, I can't. I ain't got
2: to in me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Right. yeah. Dodge. I've just learned something else. It's crazy. I've known Dodge for like, I don't know now, like five years. And every time that we get together, I learn something new. And I'm like, how did I not know that? So I knew that he like, was a pilot when I, when I was with you. And I'm like, how have I hung out with you like a thousand times? And I never knew you were a pilot. Like, what is going on? And now you just tell me you play hockey. Never knew. <laughs> like, how does that even happen? I'm full of surprises, <laughs> baby. I don't know. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's lots. <laughs> <Yeah. lines. laughs> yeah. um, anyway, how are you doing? How's business? How's life?
1: You know, everything's going well right now. Uh, Last week we contracted uh, four new rentals. We got a 23 unit building under contract right now that we are working on um, figuring out if we wanna take it down and hold it or if we wanna wholesale it. There's even a third option of taking it down and fixing it up and then flipping it too, right? So I think right now we're leaning towards wholesaling just because in terms of the best use of our time and resources and for the amount of profit that we can make wholesaling it versus the other two options, you know. um, I would love to keep it, you know, which would be great because it would add, you know, another 40 or 50% to the portfolio, like it would grow it tremendously, right? However, this particular building is, uh, it's about 90 minutes south and my current property manager that manages, you know, 95% of my properties can't cover that area so I'd have to bring in a new property manager and that just creates complexities and again best you know best for the business so we're leaning towards a wholesale so that'll be a fun one if we can get that one done probably um probably get it done you you know it's it's a tough question we're we're hoping gross now we have a partner on it Um, we're hoping gross probably around 250 so that's cool awesome yeah yeah
2: good job hey
1: thanks. thanks i was looking through my my uh, i was cleaning up my crm the other day guys and i'm curious to, to kind of get your guys's figure on this so we during covid right we switched and you guys may have already been doing this prior but during covid we switched to a more virtual type approach not a model by any means, but approach. And what I mean by that is we used to, you know, get seller leads from either inbound or outbound, doesn't matter. And if it looked like a good deal, and again, we're only marketing locally, right? So that changes things too. We're only marketing, you know, 30, 40 minute drive in every direction from our office for the most part. Uh, But when we would get those leads, we would try to set the appointment and very rarely would we send contracts to people, right? until we went and looked at it. And then we would try to get the contract while we were there. But COVID changed that because people didn't want to ch- show their properties. And there was just a lot of reasons, right? Um, so now what we do is we will only go look at a property without a contract. If we can tell that they're you know, potentially a good deal and they're just worried for the most part about, about signing the contract before meeting somebody, but we push to get the contract signed. Now, a lot of times, though, we'll get a contract signed before we do the due diligence, and it's not a deal at all, right? Like, it's just sometimes the team will just look at it, and maybe we won't have all the information, but at least we have contracts out. So, I was looking through my system last night, cleaning it up. We have 16 properties under contract right now. Of those 16, we'll probably close eight or 10, maybe even a little more. But there's a, there's a, there's, you know, probably, Yes, yeah, six or seven in there that are just, we're trying to renegotiate with the sellers at this point and or we're just gonna have to exit the deal. But I like the approach of sending the offer first and then doing the property visit or the deep dive. Now we do some due diligence, it's not blindly sending offers, right? But we're not spending typically more than like three to five minutes on in, in the beginning. Later, we'll dive in and spend you know 10 or 30, whatever that may take. But I'm just kind of curious at any given time, how many properties do you, the two you guys typically have under contract? And I feel like right now it's a lot. Usually it's probably half of that, you know? But
2: yeah. Well, I think you're on par to, to, to what you'd see on a, on a virtual level. I, I believe that if you're going to have 16 properties, right, um, then you'd be closing 50% right and then i think you'll have 25 percent normally that will just be no deal renegotiation mm-hmm. and then the other 25 percent will have liens and problems and title issues and, and and that'll be dragged out so um i think that's probably normal what, what you're seeing if you're doing it virtual um we on the other end we're oh, not really
1: doing it virtual though that's the thing i'm not marketing it in montgomery you know, in Phoenix, in, in Spokane, I'm, I'm insane. No, but,
2: you, but what is virtual? But the, to me, but like, virtually, yeah, so if you physically if not going go there.
1: Right, right. It's not like a you're whole new virtual. strategy by any means. It's just a new approach to within my market, but yes, you, you're not wrong. It's trying to yeah. be more, more virtual-esque.
2: Yeah, so yeah. you wanna get as many in. Our problem's been is that we may transition to heavily start trying to hotel and flip. So our contracts, uh we're down when you when you're just focusing on on wholesaling you know bringing in you know probably six trying to get six seven contracts a month eight contracts a month right Mm -hmm. but then but then you you have to look at how big your team is as well right when you're building so when when you start moving focus of your team things are going to be affected by that and i think that's when you have to have a balance throughout the team and make sure i'm very big on you only hire when you need somebody right so that's that's kind of our numbers um we have right now four, four i think we own four deals like, that we're flipping right now and that's good for us like ones should close on the ninth but we try and have two or three on the go at once for the flipping side right and then some wholesaling. then wholesaling now we hold again buy the best wholesale the rest right love that talk about that so that's that's what we're, we're focusing on but our volume has dropped but our profits are higher, our spreads are bigger. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that's what I see. Don't worry yeah, about I, you. I, mean,
1: I like that. I mean, that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about working, taking breaks. And if you're working some less number of deals and they're bigger, like for instance, the 23 unit I'm working now, like in theory, you only got to work like one or two of those a year, right? Versus trying to go get 16 freaking contracts in a month.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, like that's it's a of, ton of work, but it, right?
2: But, yeah, well, we're in the info space, aren't we? And I don't care about numbers. I, it drives me mad when someone's getting ten comp. Well, what is that? I don't really care. What are you making, right? Right. Well, no, <laughs> but every new person, do you want to go and follow this person that does three contracts a month, or do you want to follow this person that does ten a month? Ninety-nine percent will go, oh, the guy who does ten a month, not knowing that the guy does, not three, no do three, does three. more me. revenue. the guy who does 10 that doesn't matter it's all volume right so it you know that's the way i look at it it's all about what are you making
1: no that's a great point gavin that's a great point
0: there's a few ways to look at it one first of all to answer the question if you don't have an attrition rate you're leaving money on the table so you need (laughs) to have an attrition rate right you got to be locking up stuff that may seem a little crazy because if you don't um, you're going to be passing a potential profit. So your, your attrition rate should be somewhere between 20 and 30% normally, because you're gonna have stuff that's not going to close, like Gavin said, because of title issues, you're gonna have stuff that's not going to close because it ultimately doesn't work as a deal. And you thought it did. And then you add the layer of virtual to it, and you're going to have, you may have a little bit of a higher attrition rate than normal. So anybody out there who brags that they close every single deal do they lock up, is leaving money on the table. I, I would love, I, I there was a point where I bragged that I locked up everything and I closed it. And <clears throat> I make a hell of a lot more money at the end now that I have stuff that doesn't close yeah. sometimes. And we just, we're just honest with the sellers. When it's tight, when it's close, we just let them know, hey, this one is right on the edge of where we really need to be, or it's higher than where we really need to be. But we're going to try to make it work for you. And as long as everything you tell us is what it is, then we should be fine. But if we fight anything, when we look at that property that you did not disclose, you are not totally honest with, or you misled us on for some reason in some way, then we're going to have to have a conversation with price about price, we're not gonna be able to do the deal. And as long as you're doing that, you are maintaining integrity. And that is okay. So um, and, and I know a lot of people struggle with that. So I just want to kind of throw that out there. Um, yeah, really good. Yeah. So um, as far as what was the other part of the thing we're talking about? <laughs> Flipping Oh, deals there are choke points, because I've done really, really high volume, I've done really, really low volume with high margins, there are choke points, there are there are points where you're doing great. And a lot of people, this is where they get stuck in their business. And they usually fall apart, you start chasing someone's highlight reel, you have these these points where your business you know it out it, your your marketing or your team or something you're doing it outpaces your ability to profit it just does whether it's the way you're borrowing a systems and process you have something's going on in your organization you don't have the right team members in place you will outpace your ability to profit in your growth and that's where most businesses they'll hit that choke point and they will they'll start to panic or go under or fail you got to work through those choke points and when you do you open up to massive profitability and every time you scale you hit these choke points of growth where your profitability and your business growth doesn't match, your ability to profit doesn't match and you have to have the the foresight or the people around you to help you work through those choke points. If you're not willing to work through those pain points and figure out new systems and processes in your organization, you're ultimately going to have a prison and not a real business that's going to suck. So you need to make a decision. Am I happy with low volume? Or am I willing to build a real business through the pain points? If you can, you can get the high volume and high profit. Uh, but it 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 takes it takes guts, it takes work, it takes tenacity, it takes vision, it takes the right people around you, and it's very important to understand that. A lot of businesses, a lot of high performing businesses, do high volume and make millions of dollars in zero profit or even lose money because they're not willing to put the right systems and processes in place to get them through those choke points. If that makes any sense at all.
1: No, that's perfect. I mean, really good. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I like really? the model, though. I really do. I like changing the model to uh, to that approach because it eliminates the competition once I'm out there. I mean, that's like the main thing, right? That like, I think I was discounting like prior to getting a property under contract versus, you know, to, you know, prior to going out and looking at it versus getting it under contract and then going out and looking at it. When I'm out and looking at it on the field, I'm the same way, Don. Like, you know, assuming that they told me the repairs and here's the thing sometimes we'll we'll contract properties that are vacant and the sellers don't even know the repairs so we'll just make an offer that kind of makes sense that we can both agree on but we'll let it be known you know hey we got to go look at this and we'll send you the photos but we're basing this offer on this number of repairs and if we get there and it's different then the offer's changing right so definitely be be as transparent with the sellers as possible but what i like the most about it is I'm reducing the, the amount of competition I feel like on a lot of deals because typically I may go out and there may be three or four other investors there when I'm there or guys coming as I'm leaving or people leaving as I'm coming. I'm sure you guys have all experienced that, right? But I feel like I've been able to reduce that. Now, and there's some scenarios where you can't, They want they want investors to come walk through and they, and they and they they want several offers and they're transparent about it. Right. But typically, though, it reduces the amount of competition, which is awesome. Now it's you and the seller versus the market. Right. It's not you versus the seller. I always try to reframe that when I'm talking to the seller. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, this isn't me versus you. you know, I'm not making you an offer that is like me versus you. Let's work together on this. Right. What would make sense not only for me as the investor, but for every investor, right? We all use the same equation. You want to learn about it? Boom. You sit down with them. You talk about the comps, right? Or even on the phone, you you talk about the comps. Boom. You agree that it could be at some point this number, but depending on how bad it is, that repair cost is going to vary, right? If you're going for middle ARV or high ARV and you just work the numbers with the seller and then you explain that you're an investor and that this is a business and you do it for a profit. So when you throw in that, 0.7 discount, you know, typically that's what I do in these current times. It may be 0.7 or 0.8, 7.5 even. Right. But I'll tell them, right. This doesn't mean I'm going to go make 30 percent. You know, there's 10 percent to sell. Right. And I'm usually going to spend another three to five percent, you know, on accidents. Right. Or whatever it may be. So I'm really looking to make 15 percent. Is that a crazy number? No, not at all. And then you move on. Right. But in theory, though, it eliminates all the competition. That's what I'm trying to say. And I absolutely love the new approach. Um, Don was absolutely right, though, and brought up a valid point. You got to be very transparent. You don't want to just be sending offers blindly to people. Anybody that's watching right now, I don't want them to walk away and then just start sending blind offers. You still need to be very transparent with the seller, get as much information as you can. But when you send the offer first, before you go out and run the actual appointment or view the property, you do eliminate that competition.
0: Yeah. And there, one, one of the reasons why transparency is important, I just want to add this is, you know, wholesalers, you know, we, we can get a bad name uh, across the country. There are a lot of people that don't like wholesalers in particular. And, and a lot of the reason is, is because there are people who you know, they just they're not spending the time learning what they need to learn. Obviously, that's one aspect of it. So watch stuff like this and, and learn what you can. Um, but ultimately, they're, they're making guarantees they can't keep. They're telling the seller on a deal that has it's, the ARV is 220 and they're locking it for 200 and telling the seller they're guaranteeing that they're going to close. And then, you know, 30 days into the transaction, the seller's got a moving truck and moving out and that wholesaler hasn't communicated with the seller. They don't have a buyer in place and there's no way they can close. And and
1: yeah. I, have seen, I have never done that to a seller, fortunately, right? right? right. But I've right. seen that happen to right. so many people and it's like,
2: ah, what are you doing? Yes. And that's normally the competition that you're up against as
0: well. Yes. When 30,000
2: over. I, yeah. I got no problem. And I even teach this, like tell them they're not going to close, like go for it if you want, but you don't blame me when the, when they're calling you, they're going to do a reduction on price okay and they're going to try and renegotiate and it's happening and all that does then is you just sit and wait wait for it to happen because you already called it and then you go oh Gavin said this was going to happen and 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 you'll get the deal eventually we've done a few deals where they always come back but it, it is bad and that's why they will always get a bad name yeah. we'll always always get a bad name
0: so transparency and communication is important uh properly training your team if you're building the team around you is important you know those things are very important you know at the at the end of the day it's 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 better to I always say over disclose, you know, um, always over disclose at the at the end of the day, you're gonna be better off for it. So yeah. is, <laughs>
1: totally agree. Yeah, we,
0: totally. we often
2: we often say like, let's say I want a property at 45 grand, right? And that's what I want to pay. And the seller's stuck on 60. Right? And might be able to make it work. I'm communicating with the seller like I really need at 45. But look, I'll we will contract it at 60 and see if we can do anything with it. But I'm not guaranteeing I can do anything. Yeah, And so all I'm doing is when I negotiate, if I was maybe they were right, I was wrong and I can do something that does happen. But when we come back and go, yeah, look, because of this, 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 you know, I just can't make these numbers work. But well, they already really knew that. And they're like, well, at least you tried. All right. What if we do 50? Right. And then you renegotiate again. But well, they're, they're good because you've been upfront front and, and, and been honest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we have a question actually about the uh, Amarillo Texas. Is it a good market? I have not no sure idea where Amarillo, cool. Texas is. So. I've already looked it up for somebody, so i did a little bit of research real quick. So it's in, it's in Texas, it's in like North Texas. Um, it's Potter County. So you've got Potter County and then one straight under it, which is Randall County. Potter County's got about 115,000 in that county. You've got, if you pull a list of absentees, you've got about 3,500 uh absentee owners which is going to be a good start if you want to pull a list to get in so i do recommend that county and then i would actually then expand into randall county uh so to answer your question yes i do like that county i think that's a county that you can dominate okay with the right marketing uh there is people buying there so you want to build that buyers list first go into that county and dominate drop into then randall county Um, And then as you start to do deals, you may have to go virtual uh, because the numbers, it might be too small to stay in there full time.
0: Mm -hmm. I know quite a few people that make really, really good money in small markets, though. Really good money in small markets because they're the the dominating force of releasing competition. Yeah, and Ricardo was
1: on last week or the week before, and he was telling us about how, you know, these smaller markets are really some of his bread and butter. Because he's marketing to the the buyers that are in the nearest city, right? Because right, yeah. those guys are expanding out. So I don't think small towns
2: matter. If, if, if I if I had someone on the ground, like if I had a relationship with someone on the ground in our, in Potter County, which is where it is, I would jump on it in a heartbeat, one hundred percent. And I know nothing about the county; I've never been there. But just yeah. on research, just on population, it's enough to dominate.
1: Love it. Love it. Hey, Chuck Brown says, hey, Dan, I'm in Tulsa. What is the best way to lead generate for someone that's just getting started? Great question, Chuck.
0: It's a fantastic question, and, I, and I'm sure we're going to all add it, hit it a little differently. You know, the, the it really is going to depend on your situation. And it's a hard question to answer without knowing your budget, your time availability. You know, do you have a full time job? Do you not have a full time job? Do you have a little bit of excess capital to spend? You know, I have a series of questions that I go through with somebody that's just getting started and I ask them, you know, what what's your pain point here? what What's your ability there? And it really determines, like, my suggestion on how you get started. It may be pulling a list and cold calling yourself. It may be pulling a list and, and using a cold call service. It may be text messaging. It may be door knocking. You know, I I started door knocking pre foreclosures in 2003 because I couldn't rub two two nickels together. Um, you know, I and and basically that was all I was able to do. So um, it could be you know you may have a little money to get get a run on some direct mail. So. It really depends, okay, so you're a realtor, you mentioned here another comment, you're a realtor and- um,
1: Crazy low inventory there as well. We're
0: at mom's house together, all right, Chuck. Um, So if you're a real estate agent, then what I would suggest you do is that you start networking with other real estate agents in, in the area. Some real estate agents, as you know, they get what we do and some don't. Some are extremely smart and some aren't. Um, you know, and uh, you find the ones that are uh, go-getters who understand what it is you're trying to do as an investor and, you know, start building those relationships and start networking. That's the first place that I would start because there's going to be times where they have somebody like Dave talked about a couple weeks ago where, you know, title company called him and the, the, the buyer's MIA. And the seller sitting at the closing table wanting to know what the hell is going on. And they need a buyer that can fall into place and close quickly. Uh, it could be a situation where it's a hoarder home, it's a pocket listing, and, you know, and, and it's a hoarder home and somebody doesn't want uh, it on the market where sellers or buyers are walking through the property and they need somebody that can come in and do a quick walk through and close quickly. So depending on, on your situation, whether or not you're going to wholesale or buy it, that plays into that a little bit. But I would start networking. And then I would look at your budget. If you got a couple grand a month, I would probably hire a cold call service and pull a list and have them cold call for you, and then you work the leads. Um, you know that's where I would start. If you have a little bit more disposable income, I may look at some other marketing channels. So hopefully that helps. I'm sure you guys got some input on that as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, firstly for me, Tulsa is is a saturated market. Uh, uh, everyone that literally leaving Texas to go there originally um it's a good rental market for people as well so a lot of competition is in that market in oklahoma in general uh, especially tulsa but that doesn't mean that that should scare you away you just need to be aware that you're going to be against a lot of people marketing um that being said i mean for me if i'm going to be doing marketing uh i would probably start with cold calling um maybe some texting why it's still available and uh i'd I'd probably narrow it down to some zip codes um if you have any buyers chuck you said you're a realtor so if you have any cash buyers and you know what they already want um then that's the zip codes that i would focus on i'd pull a list that had equity in it and uh, i'd get someone pre-screening leads and then you focus uh, on the more quality lead um that that's what i would start with and then um yeah, start generating from there. And as Don said, depends on budget. Do you then want two cold callers, cold callers, five of them? Do you want to go into direct mail? Maybe looking at PPC as you grow and, and your budget uh, gets bigger.
0: The, anything my else? answer
1: would be it depends. It depends on you know what kind of marketing you're already doing. So he referenced over in some other comments that he's that he's a realtor and that he does have some marketing dollars.
2: Are
0: in- you guys realtors? no don are you <laughs> Excuse Excuse am i real? am i white realtor yeah no i'm not a realtor oh. Oh, but i have i do all have right a, dave I, sorry i do I yeah you. i do i do have a brokerage and i do have agents in my office and i do leverage them so
1: yeah so he said that you know he is just getting started so i'm assuming that there is zero marketing happening so the first thing is is just start doing something like when you say what is the best way to lead generate It's kind of an impossible question because Gavin could be better at one of these ways than me and Don could be better at another one than Gavin. Right. It just depends. The best system, in my opinion, is the one that gets used. So, 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 Chuck, this is this would be my advice. Don't overthink the marketing. Just start doing something. So if I were you just because you're already a realtor and you basically have the generalized experience with real estate i would start driving for dollars and if you don't have the time to do it i would try to get somebody on your team to do it so these guys mentioned cold calling i think that's a great approach uh um, well, you still got to do something with that's a list load, isn't do it? something but, so but you- while you're driving for dollars i'm not saying just drive for dollars and click the button to add it to the list when you are out driving for dollars call the person right then and there so you're going to be making a lot of stops right or if you can't get a hold of them put them on a postcard drip something along those lines but the reason i like that is cuz you're a realtor too i don't have this tool in my belt so if somebody's home or nearby and they can show you the property or even meet you there later that afternoon or the next day go meet them because you as a realtor and an investor now right you have you have both hats to wear so when you're out there you can say hey i would love to be the buyer of this property and if they give you a good deal boom buy it contract it go wholesale it if they don't but you see potential right get the listing for them or use a novation agreement which is kind of a higher level thing but it allows you to bring in a buyer for them you know on market or off market but getting out in the field and meeting sellers is i think one of the best things that anybody that's new can do right And it kind of goes against what I was saying earlier with sending the contract first, but that's if you just have a lot of leads and you're trying to disqualify yourself, so on and so forth. If you are literally just getting started, you gotta get out and meet the sellers. So driving for dollars would be a great place to start. It's super cost effective. You know, like we use the hell out of the driving for dollars app, like Batch Driven is one of the ones that I love the most and recommend. And we actually have a free trial over at uh, Coffee with Closers Live if you're interested. But even after using the hell out of that thing, my I'm spending like two or 250 bucks a month, right? And that's like with every feature turned on, you know, sending postcards, texting, calling people, you know, basically just getting the message out there that I'm looking to buy some properties. But again, if you come across somebody that's got one that you can't get a deal on, it's not wholesalable, boom, get the listing, right? So that's where I would start.
2: Yeah, All right, if you're go gonna on. skip, okay, go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. I was just going to say, if you're going to skip trace, uh, I know me and Dave use Batch Leads. Again, if you want a free trial, you actually get 5,000 records to actually get a list from there as well. Go to batchleads.io slash closers. We, Me and Dave use that for skip tracing, list stacking. Uh, we text out of there. Uh, we pull lists. We comp out of there. We do. I know Don uses something different to pull numbers, um, but yeah, that that's one. Yeah, uh, yeah batch leads would to be do.
1: another great place to start too, right? Batch mm-hmm. leads, batch driven, go get a dialer as well to help in a cold caller. You know, all of these things, but don't try to do all three. Pick one of them. They're all great methods, right? Yeah. But, and then, but, but do it, start doing it. Even if that means it's only an hour a day, make it more consistent. I always tell my students, and I'm sure you guys do too, I would much rather you do an hour a day than six hours on Saturday. Reason being is, is because if you get sick this Saturday and you have to go to you know a, uh, a wedding or some kind of party the following Saturday, and then you finally get to it, three entire weeks went by with nothing happening, even though you did knock out a six hour cold call session. That's like, it's so unproductive in my opinion. It's better to do an hour a day because if you miss one day, you can easily do two hours the next day or just not even care about making that time up and keep it rolling. Right. So the consistency, I think, is is probably one of the most important things when it comes to whatever you decide to start doing. Right. Regardless, if that's right. the cold calling or the driving for dollars or the texting. You know, there's a hundred other ways, but the consistency. And that's that's really why, guys, I am such a huge fan also because I'm very lazy. <laughs> but why I'm such a huge fan of the inbound marketing versus the outbound marketing, because as long as you continue to pay the bill, Right. It's basically working for you 24 seven. So what do I mean by that? Like billboards, radio, um, TV potentially and AdWords, you know, or even like social media type ads, right? Once you set these campaigns up, they're on, they're all on all the time. Whereas, you know, again, you have to fund those budgets. Right. But if you are wanting to start out and you were wanting to do the outbound marketing. It's all about time. So try to be consistent with that time. Less time daily is way better than trying to bulk it and batch it and do you know just Saturdays for six hours.
0: Yeah, you know, and and you got to be honest with yourself. You're either tra- trading time or money for marketing. It's one or the other. And and you got to look at you know do you have a four to six month runway and whatever it is you're going to do. Number one, and you don't want to look at oh I have a thirty day runway, so I'm going to try to make this work and I'm going to burn through all the capital I have. That's going to be the wrong marketing channel. You got to look at, you know, if it, if you don't have a lot of money, then you're trading time. If you have some money, you're trading money, but you got to set up a budget that's realistic that you're going to be able to, like Dave said, have consistency. And that's where people I think fail is they don't like look at, okay, well, I, I got five grand right now. Let's blow it in, in two weeks. No, let's look at, okay, can I spend $2,000 a month for six months? Okay, that's where the consistency comes in. Can I spend an hour a day, like you said, for six months? That's where the consistency comes in. So that's how you have to look at your, the marketing. And you don't want to do because of that, you don't want to do two or three or five things at once. You want to pick one marketing channel and stick to it you, you, until you master it. Yeah. If you, if you try to spread between you know, direct mail and cold calling and something else, and you got like $2,000 a month to spend, you're not spending enough on that on any one marketing channel to get any traction. So I just want to kind yeah. of throw that in there. So um, Chuck mentioned in one of his comments, best met- place or method to find cold callers. Um, if you're looking for a service, um, just reach out to me and I'll, I'll make a couple introductions. Um, we don't really have anything to, to, to give out here right now, but I have a couple places I can introduce you if you're looking for a call, cold call service. Otherwise, um, I know Dave, you have a link for a great VA company. If you want to hire and train your own VAs, if you want to throw that out there, we can do that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it depends if you're looking for specifically a cold caller or if you're looking for like an executive assistant that can do the cold calling, yeah. but also help you run your business. You're going to talk about a difference in price typically. So cold calling, you're looking at typically about five bucks an hour. Uh, yeah. you can maybe find it cheaper but that's pretty. That, that, that's right if way. you're
0: gonna train and manage it yourself though if you're hiring a service where they're gonna train yeah you if you're
1: hiring to- a service right you're gonna probably be in the nine to eleven dollar range somewhere in and, that range yeah, yeah it could be less of course but it just depends
2: and i think as well and it's funny because we've talked about this and we've been back and forth on it i like to control all mine personally mm-hmm. um and i don't like to use a service but i know don you like to use a service so again it's down to opinions um, but most people starting off with four hours a day and you've got one cold caller, then I just deal with them myself. I don't think it's I mean, they're good if you hire. Right. And it's just it's just making sure. I mean, for for us, we, we put the ad out if we use Upwork, upwork.com. Um, and we put run an ad people apply then we say hey we, we message back can you send us a one minute recording telling us a little bit about yourself and then and your experiences and then we get to listen to see how they sound and then all the ones that sound good we can then go hey we want to do a face-to-face interview and that's how you're going to narrow it down um and and the big thing is with training vas i always like to see what they know because they're there especially in the philippines they're there to please right so they're going to tell you that they can do things that they can't um and you just have to let them allow you allow them to uh take you through the process if you're using a dialer that they've got experience on get on there and say hey what how are you going to do it show me how to use this and you can really find out pretty quickly what they know um so that's that's a couple of uh steps that you could take as well if you wanted to hire own.
1: love it love it that's awesome
2: yeah I mean, um, go ahead sorry no, no i was gonna look i was looking at another question i was gonna flash up looks like we got a question
1: here from uh k may hey guys i'm going to be building my buyers list for wholesaling how many buyers do i actually need on my list to start marketing deals and my answer to that would be zero you can build your buyers list in real time once you have deals Um, i think it's a good idea to have some buyers on the list but the best way to build the list is by using deals to build it versus just reaching out to investors with no deal you know like as an investor who buys a hundred houses a year, when people reach out to me that are kind of new and they're like, Hey, you know, i want to add you to my list, you know, like, sure. It's great and all, but like, I'm super busy. It's kind of annoying. I'd rather somebody send me a deal and be like, Hey, if you want more deals like this one, let me know. And then, you know, you get on that way. So I've always taken the approach to build my list by doing so with deals. I'll put deals out everywhere. And then anybody that acquires about the deal, that buys it or doesn't buy it doesn't matter. I'll get them added that way. Um, And finding buyers in today's market has never been easier. I mean, it's literally the lowest inventory that we've ever had in the history of the world. (laughs) Not literally, but it seems like it, right? And you can find buyers super, super easily by using services like Batch, batch leads or PropStream or Propelio, there's other ones as well that you can pull these lists. And then from there you can call them, right? So my personal opinion would be go get a motivated seller to give you, or not give you, but like, you know, work with you to sell the property to you, gain control, get a contract on it, right? And then from there Um, you can sell that pretty easily, you know?
2: I'm just gonna throw a different spin on it though. And I agree with you, but at the same time, I look at your personality, and that makes sense, right? But a lot of these people are gun shy, right? And they I get don't that. Know and I discount what,
1: that, so I'm really glad you mentioned that, Kevin. Go, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So yeah. I
2: think it, it comes down to if you're a sales personality, you'll figure it out. Then yeah, you've got no no problem with um, uh, going straight to seller and moving the deal, like Dave said, because the buyers they they are easier to find. The market's hot. If you've got a deal, it will move all of them things. But there is something to say in the psychology of it of the sales cycle and the confidence being on the phone, knowing that you've got 10 or 15 people looking for deals in this area for you to execute on the phone. So um, that's that's when I would say that you need to build the buyers list first. And also in a virtual market, if you're going in a virtual market, you know nothing about having conversations with the buyer and saying, hey, where don't you want to buy? Well, I won't touch this zip code and this zip code. So you can start to build criteria off them as well. That would be the other point. I just want to identify. That's a
1: great point. So Kay followed that up and said, I'm just afraid that when I do get a good deal, that no investors will bite and I'll have to back out. If it's a good deal, Kay, that's not gonna happen.
2: Well, there's right? my point.
1: That's yeah, my point. Right. If
2: you get someone that sales, they're like, I'll figure it out, but not everyone's got that personality. So someone like Kay would be better if I was teaching them, would be let's go and buy. We don't need a hundred buyers, we just need 10 or 15 to give you the confidence of being on the phone and actually being able to close.
1: Oh, wrong one, wrong one. Where was that at? There it is. Okay. So yeah. So how many buyers, 10 to 15? I think Gavin answered that. You know, that is going to help get you the confidence. If it's a good deal, excuse me, Kay followed that up and said, I'm afraid that when I I do get a good deal that no investors will bite. If it's a good deal, you shouldn't have a problem with that. But by having 10 to 15 people, it is going to give you the confidence. Gavin, thank you for following that up because I agree with this Both ways. It's going to depend on your personality and that confidence. Guys, I've got hundreds of deals under my belt, When I'm talking to somebody I know I have that confidence. I don't even think twice about it. Like, yeah, we'll buy it if you give us a deal. Whereas if you're new, you're going to, you're going to definitely not have that. And I discount that so much. Um, I really do. But I think something we need to touch on with this particular comment real quick, Kay, is, you know, having to back out is part of business, right? So don't, not send contracts because of your fear of backing out right here's the thing you're gonna have to back out of contracts it's gonna happen right so we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier but be transparent with sellers and tell them that you bring in partners on deals if you're not the cash buyer and you're the wholesaler you don't have to use the specific terminology of i'm a wholesaler but you should approach it with Hey, I am going to be bringing in a partner on this deal, or I have a partner on this deal. And if you already have 10 to 15 buyers in your list, then you're, you do, you got partners ready to go. You just got to reach out to those partners. Right. And that will eliminate, I think a lot of your fear with backing out. Because at the end, if you can't find that partner, you can't find that cash buyer investor to help you and partner on it, to get the deal done and get the property purchased from the seller. You just go back and you say, I told you from the beginning that I use partners on all my deals and my partners don't like this deal. But here's the cool part. Now you can follow that up with unless you give me more time to find a different partner or you come down on your price to where my two or three partners that do have interest need to be, which, you know, if you contracted it, at, I think we used a number earlier. We'll stick to that, you know, at 220. But your investor partners are saying 205 tops. 205 tops. Well, then you can go back to that seller and say, hey, great news. I still want to buy it. But the bad news is that those partners that I told you about from the beginning need to be at 205. So if you can make that 205 work, boom, let's close it up. Let's do it right. If you can't, I would be more than happy to try to go find different partners. See how I'm phrasing this so I can go find different partners to help you get this property sold. But if you don't want me to do that, then that's fine, too. We'll just end the agreement right here, right now on the phone. Or you can follow up with an email just saying, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to try to buy this home. My partners don't like it. We're exiting the deal. Boom. It's at one sentence, right? Don't overthink backing out. Be transparent so you're not shooting yourself in the foot later when you do back out by pissing that person off. You can avoid it, guys. You can avoid it. Well, and be,
0: yeah. and be, be, be speedy, because the, the one thing I want to add is if you know within seven days or 14 days, that you, have you, no can do, you can't do a deal, then let them know yeah. then don't wait 30 days or 45 days and communicate that communicate. That's how you get them off. Yeah, right. yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And also you're a deal finder, not a creator. So don't try and think like you're going to talk to more people and expect them to buy it. If three won't buy it, then none of them will buy it normally, especially in this market. Right. So don't waste your time um on it okay thank you kay appreciate the question brandon says i have two
1: cold callers that started this week and i've been following up with the sellers and it seems to be going well and i have zero cash buyers so i think he may have been talking about that in relation to kay's question and again depending on your personality you may not need those cash buyers to help you build that confidence right you can go out and build that list pretty easy but if you're new that is also going to help you a ton with speed, but also that confidence. So, Brandon, great work, man. Two callers starting this started this week. So he's already got people calling probably as we speak on the phone right now. And man, you you said it in your in your message, here, following up, follow up, follow up. That's the key, man. I'm telling you, like we closed a deal the other day that had been in our system for five and a half years and I was looking through the, the amount of touches. And they say it takes, you know, seven to twelve touches, you know, typically 80 percent of sales. This one had like thirty five different times that the seller had called us or we had called the seller just communications in general. And they were all great communications. They weren't ready. It was a landlord. Thirty five times of following up. And then finally he called us and he said, hey, we're ready to go. You guys have been there you know, every couple months, letting us know that you're ready to help us when we're ready to sell. And guess what? We're ready to sell, help us get out of this situation. Boom, right? So the follow-up is so incredibly important. I mean, I would really almost weigh the follow-up as more important than the original marketing, but you gotta do the original marketing to even have the follow-up as a possibility. So Brandon, awesome, man. That's very, very cool. Great work. Very cool.
2: Awesome.
1: All right, guys, let's wrap it up for today. Today has been awesome. Don't forget, go over to coffeewithcloserslive.com and there is tons of free resources over there. And uh, we probably need to add some more stuff to this. has been a while since we've updated a couple of weeks. But in that website, Coffee with Closers Live, there's a free contract for you guys to use. There's a joint venture agreement. We have an assignment agreement over there. We also have a example lead sheet and Gavin, you were going to send me one to add to this as well. Send that over. But um, we also have some free trials for you guys. If you're interested Batch leads, we mentioned on this episode and we use it for uh, skip tracing list, stacking uh, cold SMS to sellers. It's got a CRM in there. It's got property data. So in that, uh, in that uh, free trial, they give you 5,000 leads guys. That's crazy. Awesome. Go check that out. And then I mentioned Batch Driven, absolutely love it. They give you 50 free skip traces whenever you sign up for a free trial, We're talking about 100 or 200 bucks a month for a service that was gonna put you in contact with sellers on the fly while you're out driving around and you can even do it virtually, it's amazing. And then last but not least, there's links over there to REI Blackbook, one of our favorite CRMs, as well as Be In This Room Mastermind, love it, guys.
2: Think that's it. it all, all right guys we'll see you next week thank awesome. you thanks guys Bye. Thank you. Bye.